0: So, Jesus, this, this evening we intentionally want to carve out space to, to prepare you room. Whether that's something that we do on a daily basis or whether it's new to us, this, this evening we want to say to you that, that we have room to hear what you want to say. And so, Lord, I pray that in the next few minutes that we have together, as we remember this great old Christmas story that you would enter in in a new and a fresh way. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us tonight. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And I don't know about you, but this is one of my absolute favorite times of year. Anybody with me? I love getting presents. So um, (laughs) it's really great. I was, uh, my my two sons and I, uh, my, my wife and daughter were out last Saturday, and and Ethan and Reed and I, we were, we were running around the house, and we were just having a great time, and, and I ran past our door, and our door was about halfway open, and we have a glass door that's in front of our real door, and there was somebody standing at my door. And it was shocked me a little bit, and I must have given him a look like, well, hi, psycho. I didn't expect to see you there. I mean, it is sort of a strange thing to walk to your door and someone's already standing there. And so I, I looked at him and, and I opened the door and he said to me, like, I'm really, really sorry, but um, I think your doorbell is broken. And I'm like, well, a normal person would knock in said instance. Well, so I, I, um, I went outside, and I rang the doorbell, and sure enough, and I said to him, well, it seems like you've diagnosed the problem accurately. Um, my doorbell does not work. And, and I started to think to myself, why didn't I think of this earlier? Like, when we were having, like, little kids, and all three of our kids would go down for a nap, all the same, like, the stars aligned, it might have been the star of Bethlehem, I'm not sure, but when all of the stars came into alignment, and all three of our kids were taking a nap at the same time, it always seemed like somebody came and rang the doorbell both of those times. Can anybody relate to that? Like... (laughs) And I mean, I'm like, it was in those moments where you open the door and you look at the, whoever it is and you say, Dear God, what's wrong with you? Like, why, why would you ring someone's doorbell? <laughs> what's the deal? I mean, like, somebody could have been there and told me that I'd won the sweet where they show up at your door and you have a million dollars waiting for you. I'm like, we'll just take the nap. Thank you very much. We'll just take the nap. I um, as I was thinking about our, message tonight and this text that we have in this Christmas time. As you know you have a, you have a door to your life? You, you have an entry point to the to the deepest parts of you. Some of us might call it our heart. Some of us might call it our soul. We might, we might call it our, our, our mind. And I have this conviction that you may not when you walk in these doors, but I do. And my conviction is that the God of the universe wants to speak to you tonight. But some of us, we have a we have a doorbell that just doesn't work. <laughs> or, or, or maybe, maybe, we've just ignored it for so long, it's just background noise. But here's what I'd love to invite you to do this evening. In, in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the clutter of our lives and the busyness, can I, can I invite you to, to lean into the passages that we're going to look at tonight and the, the story that you've heard probably a hundred times. But can I invite you to lean in with a little bit of a different set of ears because there's some packages when they arrive on our doorstep that we'd rather not get, but then there's some that we would love to have, but there's also some that we need to sign for, that they won't just leave on our doorstep, that we actually need to, we need to sign for it. And this is one of those packages. And see, this story of Christmas started way before Jesus was born. And in fact, it started, um, at least the passage we're going to look at tonight, roughly 1,000 years before Jesus was born. And it has to do with a house. It has to do with, with a door. And so I'm going to invite you to lean in as we remember this great old story. And we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, or you can just follow along on the screens. They're going to be, all the texts will be up on our screens. And here's the way that this passage reads. It says this. Now, when the king, and this is King David, so he reigned roughly 1,000 years before Jesus was born, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies... The king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Lord dwells in a tent. So David, if you know anything about David's life, it was tumultuous, and that's kind. Like, he was on the run for a good majority of his sort of teenage and 20s years, and he finally gets to this place where all of the enemies that he's been fighting against are subdued, where his kids aren't trying to take his throne. Well, finally, finally, he's able to sort of, like you will maybe tonight around 1130, you're going to put your feet up and you're going to maybe have a cup of tea and you're going to take a deep breath and go, Whew, here we go. That's what David does. After all the fighting's over, he, he sort of just takes a deep breath and, and he thinks to himself, man, this doesn't make sense that I have this beautiful house, I have this mansion, and, and God, you've got this, like, this tent. Like, God, I, God, I'm living in luxury, and you're, like, backpacking. I'm not sure I feel comfortable with this. Like, God, we should, we should really do, like, an extreme home makeover on your REI tent, and, and we should make you, like, a real house. And his pastor, his prophet, Nathan, looks at him and says, and Nathan said, go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Hey, whatever blueprint you've got in your mind, David, go for it. And then he goes to sleep, and he asks God what he should do, which is a big mistake, but he makes it. And here's the way the story continues, verse 4. And that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I, I, whenever I read the words of God, like, I get that attitude. <clears throat> Would you build me a house to dwell in? I think that's probably how it went. I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people from Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So here's what God does. He looks at David and goes, I didn't know this was an issue. I didn't know that I was complaining. I've actually been in a tent for quite a while, mobile, and I sort of like that. And God's like, David, 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 don't, don't pin me down. Don't, don't pretend that you can sequester me to uh, religious buildings and religious services. I've been mobile for a long time, and I actually sort of like it that way. Don't try to make me safe. I don't need a house. The entire world is my house but thanks for thinking of me, David. I think David's motives were great. I think David is actually sitting back going, man, God, you've been really, really good to me. What can I give or what can I do in response to your goodness? And he thinks, here's what I'll do. I'll build you a house. I'll build you a a temple. And God says, that's a great idea. But the answer to that is, Is no. Have you ever been in the place where you thought you were doing everything God was asking you to do? You you thought you were were living for God? You thought, man, God, I want to serve you with my life. I want to do all these great things. We're going to start this business and God, it's going to go to serve people in your name. Or God, I'm going to live and I'm going to be like a really, really good person. Or, oh, God, God, I have these big dreams. I can remember as a high school student playing baseball, and I had this blueprint that I gave to God, and it was that I was going to be a professional baseball player. Hold your laughter for just a moment, okay? And here was my, like, the fine print of this deal that I had with God was, I'll be a professional baseball player, but in all the interviews I do, I will give you all the glory, right? Right? And he's like, oh, that's funny. You're going to be a pastor and you're going to preach. And sure, you will give me all the glory. Thank you very much. <laughs> like, was that whole baseball thing? That sounded really good. And see, some of us, some of the deepest pain in our life was marching down a road we thought God had said yes to, and he actually said no. The relationship that just didn't work out, we thought it was yes all the way, and it was a No. The job that we thought we were absolutely, perfectly qualified for, and, and it was a no. The dream that we said, God, we know that you're in this, and we got a know. See, will you, will you lean in for just a moment? because Some of our deepest pain is around a no from God, and we think the no is rejection, but it's actually redirection. It's actually God saying to David and to you and me, that's not, that's not what I have for you. I've got, something, I've got something different, and I've got something bigger, and I've got something better. And if you'll hear my no, not as rejection, but as redirection, I will work and move in your life in ways that you could never possibly imagine. See, we only get Christmas in the way that we get it because of a no, because, of an, because God says to David, you're not building me that house. I love the way that the great pastor D.L. Moody said it when he said, our greatest fear should not be a fear of failure, but of succeeding at things that don't really matter. And see, here's the way that the story continues in 2 Samuel. It says, moreover, the Lord declares to you, that the Lord will make you a what? A house. So, I mean, you can almost hear them. If they're talking on the phone, it's like, no, you're cuter. No, you're cuter. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I'm going to build you a house. No, I'm going to build you a house, right? You're like, you guys, cut it out. So David wants to build God a house. God says, no, but I'm going to build you a house, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He's talking about Solomon, his son. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But Solomon eventually dies. And so God says, listen, my promise is actually bigger. It's actually better than just your son. It's about your seed and what I'm going to do through you to bless all people. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne shall be established forever. Forever. Most scholars would say that verse 16 of 2 Samuel chapter 7 is one of the most important verses in the entire Old Testament that point us to the Messiah, that tell us about what Jesus is going to be like. It's a promise to, from God to David, but for us, it's a, it's a Christmas promise, And isn't it ironic that David was so worried about what he was going to do for God? God, I want to build you a house. God, you've been good to me, so in response, I want to to give back to you. And David was just so occupied with what he could do for God. And what God says back to David is, David, your life is not going to be defined by what you will do for me David, your life is going to be defined by what, by what I do through you. See, David, your dream is way too small. And David, if you want proof, just look all throughout your childhood. Look throughout your life. Look at the way that I brought you from being just a little kid, the runt of the litter in your family, and you step onto the battlefield and you beat Goliath. David, look, you were unqualified, but I raised you and anointed you as the king of Israel. If you want proof that I'm good on my promise, David, just look at your life. So here's the thing. Christmas. You're like, wow, Paulson, that's deep. That's crazy. (laughs) And a lot of times, we come into like a service like this, and our thought is, well, I'm going to check a few boxes off the list. We've got to to do this. It's Christmas time. Or maybe our thought is, gosh, God, I've got to get right with you. There's some things in my life that are off. There's some decisions that I've made, and as I sit here, I just feel like they're haunting my soul, and I feel like a hypocrite sitting here. And our thought starts to be, God, I've got to do something for you. And I want to say it as clearly as I can, that Christmas is not about you doing anything for God. Christmas is actually about God doing something for you, about him saying to you, like, I'm not interested in the house that you want to build for me. I'm interested in what I want to do in and through you. The Christmas story reminds us that God is the one doing that God is the one working, that God is the one building, that God is the one healing, that God is the one restoring, that God is the one bringing hope. That's what the Christmas story reminds us of. And it's interesting that when the angels come and visit Mary and tell her that she's pregnant with the Messiah, with, with the Christ, they echo these same words. Listen to the angel Gabriel as he encounters Mary as she's six months pregnant. says this, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the, say it with me, house of David, house of David right? God's building his house, isn't he? The house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Uh, yeah, you think? I mean, sometimes we just read right over passages in scripture where we should probably pause and take a step back and go, Well, yeah, if. If an angel showed up on our doorstep, we probably wouldn't chest bump them and we wouldn't high five them. Like, we would need to hear the same word. Like, like it's going to be okay. Fear not. And then the angel says something really strange. Behold, I bring you good news. You're a favored one. You are blessed by God. Which would have sounded really strange because Mary at this point was pregnant and unmarried which meant that her hopes and her dreams were absolutely out the window. It means that the house she was building was gone. What was a yes from God, a a you're favored, you're blessed, it actually probably sounded to Mary like a resounding no. Here's how the passage goes on. Behold... "'You will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob and of his king forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end.'" So here's what the angel does. The angel connects the baby inside of Mary's womb with the promise that David got from God, I'm going to build a house through you. And he connects those two things. See, because Mary isn't just carrying a baby. She's carrying hope. Mary isn't just carrying a child. She's carrying change. Mary isn't just carrying A child, she's carrying a kingdom. That's what Christmas is all about. See, Jesus was and is the house that God was building, is building, and will continue to build. Jesus is what God is doing. This word Jesus means savior or, or restorer or healer. He's the one who takes all of our shame and all of our brokenness, and he reunites us to the God who created us. See, Jesus is God's answer for longing humanity. Jesus is what you and I could not build ourselves. He's the grace. He's the mercy. He's the redemption that our souls long for. So when we say, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, we can say that with confidence because Christmas reminds us that in front of the scenes and behind the scenes, God is acting. God is on the move. And so as you sit here this evening, you can know with confidence that the reason we can celebrate Christmas, the reason we have Christmas... Is because the God of the universe loves you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, um, John, one of Jesus' friends, writes this. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest, or it became known that God sent his son, Christmas, his only son into the world, that you and I might live through him. In this sense, friends, Christmas truly is about a gift that's given, but it's given on your behalf. It's the house that God is building. And you don't need to look any further than this text in Luke chapter one to see what the promises of Christmas are. Here, let me show you just a few of them. Just in the same way that the angel says to Mary, Mary, you found favor with God and God is with you. The same is true for you and I today is that we, when we celebrate christmas we celebrate the god who clothes himself in humanity and steps into our situation steps into to our world And he says, listen, I don't know how dark the valley's gotten, and I don't know how many regrets you have, and I don't know, as you think about 2017, what it held for you. But I do know this, that every step of the way, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, has walked with you because he promises that he will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And Christmas reminds us that God is with us. It also reminds us that God is over us, that that he... He reigns. Um, The angel reminded us of it, that his throne, he will have the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's actually his title. He's Jesus, you could read it, Jesus the King, Jesus the Anointed, Jesus, the one in whom all of it holds together, the physical and the material melded into one person who, by the very breath of his mouth holds it all together. I love the way that the theologian Abraham Kuyper said it when he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, it's mine. It's mine. And so you're like, well, Paulson, I'm not sure if that's good news. Because, yeah, Jesus reigns, but how does he reign? I'm really glad you asked that. Because the Bible would say that the way that he reigns is in love. Is in love over you and over me. That not only is he with us, but he's passionately for us. And you can't get out of these texts without seeing that what God is doing in the person and work of Jesus, he is doing not just for a short time, but he is doing for all time. We see his presence, his reign, and his eternality, which is sort of ironic if you think about the story, because David wanted to build God a temple, and his son eventually built God said, said temple. And that temple stood for a few hundred years, but in 587, it was destroyed. It was wiped out. Well, they rebuilt it again, and then in 70 AD, that temple destroyed again. And it's as though God's saying to David, David, you want to invest your life, you want to invest your heart, you want to invest your time in something that's temporal, but I want to do through you something that's eternal, something that will go on forever and ever and ever, and it will have no end. So you can have confidence in this, that the kingdom that God is building will not be thwarted, will not be stopped. His light will not be snuffed out. It will continue to grow and grow and grow for all of eternity, which is why it's so absolutely heartbreaking to me that Christianity, when misconstrued, makes people smaller-minded. <laughs> It shrinks their world. Instead of making it bigger, because this kingdom is growing. This kingdom is inviting. This kingdom is on the move. See, David's dream for what he'd do for God was way too small. And so can I just propose to you that maybe what you think you're going to do in 2018... Maybe even what you think you're going to do for God. Maybe in your mind, it's like, gosh, that's big, and I couldn't dream of anything bigger. Maybe your dream is, I am going to make it through 2018. And for you, that sounds big, and it might be. But can I tell you, it's not God-sized big. Uh, Maybe. Maybe your plan or your dream is, I'm going to try to be a good person. Good luck with that. Like, if you define that in a way that sets the bar low enough, you might meet it. But I don't know that it will actually fulfill you. Or maybe, maybe your dream is, I'm going to be successful. And here's what that means. It means a certain number in my bank account, or it means letters behind or in front of my name. And this will be the year that I actually do that. What God says to David is, hey, will you hand over those blueprints And will you let me build something in and through your life? Something bigger? Something that you could never even dream of on your own? Will you you let me do that in and through you? See, because only God can dream up something as big as Christmas. And the story continues. In Luke chapter 2, just one chapter later, and it says this, and Joseph also went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child Now, what we just read was that there was a eight to 10-day, seven-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Can you imagine Mary, nine months pregnant, walking beside Joseph as he rode on the donkey? I'm just kidding. It didn't happen that way. (laughs) But what if we found out that it did? That would be amazing. No, but you wonder, like, if she says to him, hey, could we, like, Uber there instead? Is that an option? We just read past it, though. It's a hundred-mile journey, and the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloth, and she laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, in inn, don't think of like a hotel or a motel. Think of um, a a back house that a friend or a neighbor would have. The point is, in the way that Luke tells it, is when they get there, Mary is carrying the hope of the world. But the world has no room for this hope. There's, There's no room in the inn. For the King of kings, for the Lord of lords, for the God who says, I want to come and and be among you. I'm clothing myself in humanity to redeem you, to reign over you, to be for you. My kingdom will have no end. This house I'm building will continue to stand for all time. And humanity's like, "Mm, I don't know if we have room for that. And you go, well, Paulson, when you say like that, it sounds insane. Yeah, that, that's sort of the point. And I think for some of us, the point tonight that God maybe just wants to poke at our hearts a little bit and our soul a little bit is that, is that same question. Hey, in the busyness of your life, do you have room? Maybe you've been around this story for a long time and, and you were around church as a, as a kid and, and you're, you're back here now and you're going, listen, I left that story a long time ago and, and my intellect does not have room for it. I just want to tell you that none of the early followers of Jesus would have been able to understand what you're talking about because none of them thought you had to check your brain at the door in order to follow Christ. What they would say is, no, we saw him, we touched him, we heard him, we saw what he did, we saw that he was dead, we saw that he walked out of the grave, and our lives are absolutely, ridiculously changed because of it. But maybe the thing that prevents you from having room is, Ryan, if I were to unpack for you my story, and some of the things that I've walked through in life, you'd know that even if there is that knocking on my door, that my my life is such a mess and my life has so much pain in it that there's no way that I could open it up to the God of the universe. I mean, hey, even when we just have normal people over to our house, we clean up for them, right? Or at least we put everything on the counter into the junk drawer and throw other stuff down into the basement, right? It's like, well, so if I'm going to invite the God of the universe into my life, I want to clean up a little bit here. Can I just tell you two things about that? One, it's unnecessary and it's impossible, okay? Because probably we'll have the same conversation next Christmas where you're like, "Ah, I just need to clean up a little bit more. We'll never get there. Second, it's unnecessary. If Christmas reminds us of anything, it reminds us that God is at home in the mess Because he looks at us and he goes, I was born in a manger, in a feeding trough. I think I can handle your mistakes. I think I can handle your mess. I think I can handle all the things that are going on in your life. The good stuff, the stuff you'd rather forget, the stuff you regret, the stuff that makes you carry shame. He goes, invite me into it all. Invite me into it all. Because the manger reminds us that God is at home in the mess. See here's the truth of Christmas, friends. The pastor said it, I think, really, really well, that the hinge of history, the hinge of history is on the door of a Bethlehem stable. And it's on that door 2,000 years ago. And it's on the door of your heart tonight that this king comes and he says, I stand at the door. I stand at the door and knock. Are you going to prepare room? Are you going to invite me in? Are you going to welcome me into your mess? Or maybe is your, is your doorbell broken and do you want to just continue to ignore the knocking. See, here's the way that the Gospel of John would say it, really simply. He says that he, Jesus, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. And then he defines what he means by that. The people who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So I want to close by talking to two groups of people. One. It's those of you who have said, yeah, I hear that knocking, and I opened this door, and and I believe, Jesus, I I believe. I want to remind you of two things. One, you're a child, the scriptures say, of the most high God. Your names are written on the palms of his hands. He rejoices over you with singing. He is for you, and he's good over you. And I just want to remind you of that tonight. That he lives in you. He dwells in you. And then there's a second group. There's a group of people and you're going, I'm not sure what I want to do with that. I'm not sure if I want to open that door. And can I encourage you tonight that this is a moment for you to respond to that God who says, I loved you so much, I clothed myself in humanity, that I might step into this world and into your life. What are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with him? Last weekend, a, a few families and our family went caroling, which was quite the experience. Um, we had about, thir- for, for the people we went to, not just for us, um, we had about 30 people with us and um, kids with drums and tambourines and it was so funny. It was so funny because we would go up to some doors and a lot of them had like a a way to see out and we could see people walk up to the door and then like turn around to yell something to the people back there like there's psychos at our door, right? Like I don't know what to do with this and then they came back. A few of them came back, looked again and then walked back like they're still here. They are still loud. And we were making a joyful sound unto the Lord. We weren't necessarily making a high-quality sound, but it was a, a joyful sound. And, and eventually, they had to decide, am I going to like open this door and let them sing to me? Or am I going to just walk away? And at The door of your life tonight, in the same way that those angels sung, over the Judean countryside to those shepherds. There's there's angels that sing at your door tonight, and their anthem is join in. The anthem of all of creation is glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, on whom his favor rests. The hinge of history hangs on a Bethlehem stable. And it's that same God who comes to your life tonight and says what are you going to do with my kingdom? What are you going to do with my reign? What are you going to do with my presence? What are you going to do with my forever? Will you invite me in? Do you have room in your life for me? I pray that you do. Let's pray. So, Jesus, in the quietness of this, these moments that we have together, Lord, I pray that you would just speak a word of truth into each person's life, a, a word of hope of the house that you're building, the way that you're at work, the way that your grace is on the move, and, Lord, that your invitation would be strong over people, even right now in this moment, that you'd be drawing people to yourself. And Lord, I pray for the people that are here tonight that maybe for the very first time they want to say, yeah, I want to receive this gift. I want to open my life up to you, King of kings and Lord of lords, that they would believe in you tonight. That they would turn from their own blueprint of what their life might look like, of trying to achieve and earn their way to you, and that they would take their hands off of that and just simply say to you, Jesus, I receive you tonight, In your grace and your mercy over my brokenness, Jesus, I receive you tonight. And for those of us who've been walking with you, Lord, would you remind us that, that your invitation, your incarnation is the greatest invitation we're ever going to get? So we open up every piece of us that you would invade, that your grace would shower, that your peace would overcome, and that hope would be our anthem because of who you are. It's in your name we pray.